Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I think we tend to assume that people don't believe because they don't have enough information or they haven't been exposed to the right information or maybe because they've seen a a bad representation. But what I think we often fail to realize is that sometimes that's not the case at all. It is just simply the heart is hard and resistant to God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, in a message titled, I Am the Good Shepherd. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Here we go, looking at not just the verses that we read together today, but we're going to need to to back up just a little bit, and let's remember the context. And for those of you that were here last Sunday, and those of you that have been going along with us through John's gospel, last week we looked at the story of the man born blind and, and all of the things that surrounded the healing of that man by Jesus. And so as we pick up today, that is our context. We're still in that environment where that happened. As a matter of fact, we ended just short of the final couple verses of chapter 9 last week. So I just want us to back up for a moment and touch on those verses, and then we'll move right into the verses that we read today, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. So Jesus had just finished with the man. You remember the man was healed. The man was then interrogated. He was brought before the religious leaders. They wanted to know how he was healed, who was responsible for the healing. It was done on the Sabbath day, so they thought that that was a horrible thing. Jesus must be somebody really, really bad. Uh, The man says, well, I don't know basically how you guys came to that conclusion. I came to the opposite conclusion. He must be from God. I was blind. Now I see it's never been heard of that anyone could open the eyes of someone born blind. And so remember then, you know, finally they kicked him out. They expelled him from the community. And then Jesus found him. And Jesus said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he that I might believe? Jesus said, the one that's speaking to you, the one that you're seeing, he is the one. And you remember the man said, Lord, I believe. And then the man worshiped Jesus. And so now Jesus says this, and it seems like there are, um, there are other people that are present while this is going on. I would imagine that Jesus is probably having a, a more of a personal conversation with the man, but it, it does seem that there are others present, at least maybe at a distance. And so Jesus says this, though, in a way that, that others can hear. For judgment, I have come into the world, he says. For judgment, I have come into the world, 
so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your sin remains. So interesting statement by Jesus. For judgment, I have come into the world so that those who are blind will see and those who see will become blind. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking, again, he's talking specifically to the Pharisees. He's talking to people who are proud and people who feel like they know everything. Nobody's going to teach them anything. And they know. They've already settled it. And, but yet when Jesus says this, there's, they, they kind of get the message that he's talking to them. Are we blind too? But then he says this, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But because you say we see, your sin remains. See, what Jesus is is getting at here is that there are people who just will not believe because they've already made up their mind. And nothing is going to change the way they feel. N.T. Wright, whom we have quoted often, he said this, and I think it's just kind of puts it together really well. He said, not only are the Pharisees wrong in their view of Jesus, but they have constructed a system within which they will never see that they are wrong. It is one thing to be genuinely mistaken and to be open to new evidence, new arguments, new insights. It is another to create a closed world, like a sealed room into which no fresh air, no light can come. The Pharisees, certain of their own rightness, locked and bolted themselves into a darkness of their own devising. So you've perhaps heard the saying that there are none who are so blind as those who will not see. And that is the case here. And so Jesus says he came into the world for judgment. Those who don't see but would see if they could, then they're given sight. But those who don't see but insist that they do see and harden their hearts and refuse to admit that they can't see, they remain in that state. You know, there's times when I think we we, we tend to assume that People don't believe because uh, they don't have enough information or they haven't been exposed to the right information or maybe because they've seen a a bad representation. And and those those things sometimes are the case. 
But what I think we often fail to realize is that sometimes that's not the case at all. It is just simply the heart is heart and resistant to God and no amount of evidence or persuasion or good, solid witness is going to make a difference because the heart is heart. That is the condition of the hearts of many. So Jesus now continues. And he says, very truly, I tell you Pharisees. Now the NIV adds Pharisees. It's not in the original text, but in the context, it does seem like it belongs. So he's speaking again to the Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen or the sheepfold by the gate or the door, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, or you could translate the word parable. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So here, this parable, I'll I'll just refer to it as a parable. It is a little bit confusing because in the parable, Jesus is both the door to the sheepfold and he is also the shepherd. But but the, the parable itself, just in these few verses, is essentially identifying Jesus as the way into the, the sheepfold or the way to become a sheep. He's identifying himself ultimately as the one who is the shepherd. The thieves and the robbers that he refers to are the Jewish leaders, the very people that he's been addressing, those who claim to see but don't see. So they are the thieves and the robbers. They are trying to lead the sheep away from the true shepherd who is Jesus. The sheep, of course, are the people. And so just looking at at verses 7 through 9, Jesus then says, he's, he's going to basically sort of interpret now for them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, gate, door is the more consistently used word in translations. A few translations use gate, like the NIV. It it can be either one. I'm so used to saying, I am the door. You know, when you talk about the, the I am statements of Christ, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, and so forth. It's just, it's kind of hard, you know, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate. Oh, wait, the gate. Okay, no. I, so I'm going to go back and forth here between gate and door. 
the idea is basically the same. And so all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And then he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. So Jesus is the door. For the picture, I mean, he's, he's painting a picture to them that they would completely get because in their world, they were shepherds and shepherds were all around and sheep were all around and, and sheep folds or sheep pens were all around. And so he's using this picture to teach them about his relationship with them and about what's actually happening with the resistance of the religious leaders to him. So he is the door. He's the one through which we must enter in. No one, Jesus will later say, no one can come to the Father except through me. The apostles understanding this, when they began to preach the gospel, Peter, for example, when he preaches the gospel there in the early chapters of Acts, he says concerning Jesus, he says, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. So again, an exclusive claim. Jesus is the door. You can't, you can't enter in to the sheepfold. You can't become one of God's children, in other words, or one of God's sheep. You can't become that apart from Jesus. But here Jesus says something that's interesting. He says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Who is he talking about? Some people have thought, well, what is he? Is he just dismissing everybody that came before him? And the answer would be, of course not. He's not referring to the prophets or anyone like that, because over and over again, Jesus affirmed the ministry of the prophets. So when he says, all who have come before me, he's talking more in the immediate sense. And you can see that just simply by the use of the word are thieves and robbers. He doesn't say all who have come before me were thieves and robbers. He's speaking in the present tense. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. So he's referring to the religious leaders of the day. Those who, again, are trying to to turn people away from the door, trying to, to keep them from going in to the door. They are the thieves and the robbers. And then he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and to give it in its fullest or abundantly. So we're going to come back to that. Then in the next couple of verses, verses 11 through 13, we have this, the good shepherd versus the the false shepherd. So Jesus now says in verse 11, I am 
the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, we might not know this if we're not real versed in scripture, but actually what is happening here is this age-old controversy between the God of Israel and the shepherds of Israel is coming to a head. See, this is a battle that has been raging for literally centuries. God has complained over and over again through the prophets about the fact that the shepherds, those who were meant to lead and care for his people, that they failed to do it, that they neglected to do it, that they, instead of taking care of the sheep, they use the sheep to benefit themselves. Listen to the words of the Lord through Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them. I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Ezekiel said, the Lord speaking through Ezekiel said something Similar, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. My sheep wandered all over all the mountains and on every hill they were scattered over the whole earth. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending mine. Now, in Zechariah, which we studied just a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, in the, the 11th chapter, the same controversy rises there. And there, Zechariah, speaking for the Lord, speaks about the shepherds of Israel despising him and he also loathing them. Wow. And so this, again, centuries-old controversy is, is coming to a head with Jesus right here. And Jesus pulls no punches. He calls them thieves, and robbers. He's using the same kind of language that the prophets used about the false shepherds. But then in verse 14, he goes on and he says, I am the good shepherd. Again, he says it, he repeats it. I am 
the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it again. This command I received from my father. And let me just finish up. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. So again, we're, we're still in that same environment where, where everything had been taking place. So they're divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So once again, we see that there's this division, in a sense, among them. Now, three things I want to point out that Jesus said in the verses we just read with with verse 14. I I am the good shepherd. And then he says this. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They hear my voice. Now, as Jesus is saying this, what he's implying to them is that, and and he said this before, you don't hear me because you're not my sheep. If you were my sheep, you would hear what I'm saying. But on the positive side, what he's saying about his sheep is that he knows them and they know him, and they hear his voice. Jesus is describing the intimacy that his sheep have. And for anyone who has come through Jesus as the door into the sheepfold, anyone who has become a child of God through faith in Jesus, this is what you know you know that somehow, even if you can't really explain it, you know that the Lord knows you and you know him and you hear his voice. That is the glory. That is the beauty of of what God offers us. And we've heard it over and over again, but let me state it one more time we have been invited into a relationship with God. We have a relationship. And sometimes we use the language when we're trying to express to people what it is that we're talking about, what it is that we're experiencing. We sometimes say, no, I don't have a religion. I have a relationship. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There's so many questions today about science and faith. And uh, are they compatible? Can you 
be even a scientific person and a believer at the same time? Well, Professor John Lennox from Oxford University says, yes, you can. And in his fantastic book, Can Science Explain Everything?, he basically shows us from a scientific standpoint and as a scientist that science cannot explain everything. But, of course, the Gospels and the Word of God do. So I love this book. It's an easy read. It's very helpful. It's a great book to read yourself and to even pass on maybe to a skeptical friend. So I want to encourage you to pick up Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. You can order the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.